Remember, death is certain. That's what the wizard taught me. Of Oz? He gave other people good things. <laughs> he was like, I am the great and powerful Oz. You will die. You fucked. Welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name's John. And together we're Henry and John. So how are you today, Henry? I'm doing alright. I mean, it's just like things are going on and it's like, what? I'm just like, whoa. Nice. I think most people could describe their lives in such a way. You're right. That was the universal answer to that question. Other than people who aren't currently alive. Well, why would you ask an unalive person how their life is going? That seems kind of rude. Yeah, they're not going to answer you. Also, it's like you're you're asking them about stuff that's like over in the past. Your life doesn't end when you die. Says who? Uh, says a number of faiths. But think about it this way: is life is life consciousness or is life existing? Well, I guess that's a pretty big question. That's a pretty big question right out the gate. I I'll mean, be honest. Consciousness versus existing, no. It's just existing, because for a majority of the living things on the planet, they don't have consciousness. So a dead body is alive because it's existing. Well, okay, so then there's more factors than that. It's all full of bacteria. Yes, but the the bacteria are the ones that are alive, not the body. Is a rock alive? No, you're just describing things that have mass. Yes. Anything that has mass exists. I guess I'm just I don't know. You could argue that plants have a kind of consciousness. They know where the sun is, but that's about it. And they can, like, respond to stimuli. The weird big questions. We'll get back into that one. Will we? Nope. All right. John. Yes? How are you doing? I'm good. I've officially spent, like, a week at my new job. Yeah, your favorite. It's okay. You're gonna all grow to love it. I spend most of my day doing absolutely nothing. That's a job. I spent about 15 minutes today literally staring at a clock. That's that's a job. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. I mean, I get paid for it. I mean, half of my job is just listening to my boss speak. How is that? Uh, today he told us about his exciting news that his contract with Verizon is almost out, and so he's going to switch to another phone company. Oh, how long did that conversation last? About ten minutes, and then he launched into this whole tirade about cable companies and data caps. Man, he sh he's the next Bill Hicks. Oh, man, yeah, he just had us roaring laughing. Ugh, so there's, uh, at my job, one of the most fun things about it is I work at a credit union. <gasps> and the fun thing about credit unions is they're like banks, but they're slightly more informal. But also, the people who work there tend to be quite a bit older. What do you mean? How old are you? Not me. Other people. Oh. I'm the I'm the young gun that they're afraid of. Good. You're gonna change up their systems. But they just hired someone who's like a younger woman, oh. and older dudes in the office will not stop talking to her. I have needed legitimate things done or legitimate help, and everyone just crowds into the office where she is and, like, sits down and laughs at all of her dumb jokes. What do you think about that? I don't know. I think they're lonely. I think that one of the most pervasive facets of humankind is the incurable disease of loneliness. Can you cure loneliness? I think we can. I just think we built a society that incentivizes 
incentivizes that we be lonely. How does it incentivize that we be lonely? Because it wants us to make money to continue to exist in, let's say, our apartments with a lot of rent cost. But is that society or is that just individual members of society dictating how much rent should be? What is society but a multitude of people dictating how much something should cost or what's right or wrong? Well, does that suggest that we could have a society where nobody suggests the prices of things? No, no, no. I still think the prices of things are important. You know, I'm in the finance field. I think that prices are important, but I think that we, we could have a society where we don't pressure people to work all the time so much. We could have, you know, more vacation days in the year. We could try to make our workers happier people. Because the thing is, when you make people depressed through their work, it's hard for people to socialize because motivation goes out the window. And when you do socialize, who wants to be friends with a sad sack? I, studies have shown that the four-day work week ends with more productive hours than the five-day work week, which sucks. I've never done too much reading about the four-day work week. Neither have I, because I don't, I don't, they don't mean that it's four days with less hours. It's the same amount of hours, right? Yes. It's a ten-hour day, right? I think it might be the same amount minus four hours, something like that. If it's minus four hours, then I can see it balancing out, I guess. God, if you're working four ten-hour days, that's insane. That would be crazy. That's a whole... That's your day gun. But I think we, uh... I definitely am feeling the crunch a little bit myself because I've been in college for so long, and when you're just a creative jerk and you're in college, yeah, you have soft responsibilities that can be split up over the course of a day, but when you have a job that you're at for nine hours, your evenings seem really short. Yeah. Your social life seems like it's a tenth of its size, even though you're probably spending the exact same amount of time socializing as you were before, because let's be honest, what was I doing between 8 and 5 until now? Probably not socializing very much. But it's like you've got this weird Grim Reaper hanging over your head while you're socializing, reminding you, hey, you gotta be at your job at 8, 8 o'clock tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I definitely feel myself going to bed and feeling like, oh, I should stay up for another hour so I get the most out of my day. And it's really wrecking my sleep schedule. Oh, is that why you can't sleep? Kinda. And also I'm really stressed out about my job. Why? Stop being stressed out. I know, I can't help it. Stress comes easily to me. This is what you trained for. It is. I was in school for four years for this, and honestly it's not that hard. But I mean, it's, it's a transition, for sure. Yeah. I'll get there. I'll get there. I'm, I'm certain of it. You're just entering, like, the corporate working world with the, you know, 8 to 5 grind with, like, an... Do you have an hour lunch break? Hour lunch. Sometimes it's 30, sometimes we don't get one and they buy us food. That's interesting. Yeah. Are you paid that hour, or is it technically a break for union rules? Um, I'm not... I'm not paid based on hours, so... it's so. just a salary. Yeah, I could just not show up, I guess. To that but hour? But then I'd be... I could just not show up to work and still be paid for that day, but I'd probably be fired. No, you'd probably be fired. Almost definitely. Yeah, you gotta schedule vacation time or sick leave. Mm -hmm. And I'm not high enough up in my particular organization to have any kind of latitude in that direction. Yeah. But, eh. Eh. Okay. So. So. What kind of career do you want, Henry? Nope. Let's not do that one. Yeah. What a mm -hmm. bummer. Mm. Oh, that Let's would get off job talk. That would be depressed talk. Let's also, get off I'm job. getting into depressed talk. Let's get off job talk. Let's talk about the coup in Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> that stays in. <laughs>
So what about the coup in Turkey, Henry? People are saying that the current president of Turkey, that's not his title, is it president? Is he a president of Turkey? President, prime minister. Erdogan, right? Erdogan? Erdogan? Erdogan. Aragon? Aragon. Eric. Well, people are saying that he might have staged the entire coup. Oh, he might have staged the entire coup as an excuse to get something like 2,000 powerful political dissidents out of his cabinet. Exactly. Man, weird. Yeah. Uh, Also, putting this out there, I kind of support the coup. Because, like, people died. That sucks. Yeah, that's terrible. But, like, if people, like, anybody trying to take over sort of, like, a corrupt government, that seems awesome. You know what? There's a weird backlash, though. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw this specifically in Trump supporters, and I don't mean to get political, but I found it funny. That's like, if you don't, if, if Trump isn't elected, we'll just coup. Mm. It's just like, you, you gotta understand that our situation in America is a little different than the one in Turkey. Considerably. What happened in Turkey was the military mm-hmm. were the ones who threw the coup, you know? It wasn't people on the streets. It was part of the power structure was rebelling against another part of the power structure. But people also fundamentally misunderstand the circumstances required for a coup to be any degree of successful. The United States is not in a position where a civilian or maybe even a military coup would be successful. No. We're extremely, extremely interconnected with other countries. We have a decentralized power structure as much as we as the American people like to see it as centralized. Yeah. And there are too many moving parts for a coup to do anything. You would have to take over literally every branch of government and every government organization, which is nigh impossible. It turns out there's a reason why coups, successful or not, tend to happen against authoritarians. Because authoritarians really like a centralized decision-making process in their government. If you keep all of your power in one place, it's just that much easier to take it over and then take the power. And then, like, you create this big glowing gem on the giant boss monster that is your authoritarian shit-ass Turkish government. And you paint a target around the body of that big-ass floating gem. And then the military hits it three times and spins it around by its tail and throws it into a bomb. And a heart piece falls from the sky and it gives you the power to create your own government. And then Mass Effect happens. Da-da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da. That's Terminator 2. Yep. Okay, perfect. I'm sure it had a video game. Also, uh, don't coo. Coos are dumb. Don't coo. If if you honestly feel disenfranchised, maybe think about cooing, but let's be real. Let's keep the coos for the birds. Speaking of, when you said the Trump supporters were saying that if he doesn't win, we'll coo. Yeah. In my mind, I was imagining that we'll sit there and go, Coo, 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 coo why? Why did you do this? <laughs> coo, 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 you wanted it. That is the most political we've gotten on uh, Zero Credits. Let's dive deeper, shall we? Are you aware that no political candidate that's going to be available in ballots in all 50 states isn't really awful? Yeah. Yay! Hey, guess what? What? The RNC was just last night, or started, or something. I don't know how it works. It uh, it happened. Is it over? It happened to us. Because I keep seeing day one. Is it a multi-day thing? <laughs> See, well, I don't know. Uh, put it in terms I can understand. Is the RNC like the E3 of uh, bigotry? <laughs> that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. It's just the, the superstar of the RNC this year is a bigot. 
I, I just feel like we need to talk about one tiny thing, especially considering my expertise. Mm-hmm. If you're going to plagiarize a speech, don't have it be broadcasted on national television. Yeah, I haven't watched that video yet. How egregious is it? Okay, have you ever seen plagiarism done? Wait, is that a a movie? No. Have you ever witnessed somebody who has plagiarized? Like, have you read their work? Yes. All right. You know how, like, they basically have the source or whatever right in front of them, and they're, like, switching around words? Mm-hmm. They're like, no, I changed it because I switched words around. Mm-hmm. It's that. It's like they used a thesaurus, kind of? Well, no, it's like they took phrases and oh. just put them in, like, physically moved them like puzzle pieces and put them in different orders. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, how do you pronounce her name? I... Melania? Melania? Okay, so malaria. Malaria Trump? Trump? Malaria Trump. I feel like she, like all plagiarists, was surprised at the speed with which she was found out. Well, also, you, you have to consider, I've been watching a lot of political shows, and so I know this isn't really her fault. She had a team of people behind her who mm-hmm. probably, you know, who wrote the speech, worked together to construct the speech, and then gave it to her for her to say. I mean, the easiest thing to do in in anything political, especially when something involves rhetoric, is to blame the person who delivers it to you. But honestly, there are so many there are so many layers of obfuscation between the person who is speaking and who is actually responsible for the words that are being said that you can't say that she did it yeah. because she didn't write her own speech. And that's not insulting her intelligence. No major political figure is going to get in front of a camera and make a speech that they wrote themselves. Exactly. Just for the, the liability reasons. Like, mm-hmm. if something they say ends up sparking controversy, and, you know, that causes the need for heads to roll, mm-hmm. and it's never going to be the speaker's head that rolls, it's going to be someone in the, like, the chain of command below her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's yeah, it's not really her fault. She probably did have final say, like, okay, I'm just not going to say that or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But she probably had no idea the speech was plagiarized. Oh, yeah, like, they gave her red pen at the end, but she never... You can't tell... Because, from what I understand from the transcripts I've read, it's kind of a vague, general kind of speech. Yeah. It's not hyper-specific, because how could it be? But this person, uh, Malane... Malanya... Malakda. Malakda. So, Malakda... Clearly could not see that this was obviously plagiarized. Yeah. But here's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. The parts she plagiarized were about work ethic and morality. Nice. That's just, come on. Yeah, very, very appropriate. And the funnier part, I guess, it was Michelle Obama's speech. Mm Mm-hmm. So, the conservative right Yep. Copied a speech from the progressive left, mm-hmm. and it got applause. Yep. What does that mean? It means the political parties are largely interchangeable. Oh. It means everyone believes in their core for the basic same things that we all want, but we decide to divide ourselves up over pretty meaningless distinctions that if you really laid them out to us, none of us would really want what either party proposes to want. I thought both parties were the same, just with different masks. That's pretty much it. And behind the mask were corporations with, like, knives made of money. I mean, that's totally accurate. And but, like, if you took people on the individual level and you're like, you know, let's say that your political leaning says you want a very big government. Yours says you want very small government. If we could show you realistically what a very huge government would be like, 
you probably wouldn't totally want that. If we showed you what a very small government would be, you probably wouldn't want that either. You want to compromise. Most people want to compromise and end up in the middle, because most people are, at their heart, like, rational-thinking human beings who kind of all want the same thing. How come we can't just do that, then? Because humanity has been trying to do it forever, and it all comes down to one thing. Money. Nope. Presidents. Nope. One more guess. Birdmen. Nope. Original sin. Snake did us in. What? The snake? The snake? <laughs> yeah. From from Genesis. Yeah, that guy. Okay. Good old Satan. Alright. That was it. He's like, you'll never agree now. I don't remember that part. That's why the, the Democrats dress like apples. <laughs> And the Republicans dress like ribs. What's happening? You're just pulling things out of your beard. What is this reality? Here's more RNC talk. Yeah. We can talk about Stephen Colbert. We can talk about the character Stephen Colbert once again. Well, let's pause. Let's first talk about the weird thing Colbert did before. Oh? He, he showed up at the RNC dressed like the guy from Hunger Games with blue hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he tweeted a picture of him, like, in front of some wires, and was like, ooh, it's the central power system for the whole RNC, and he tweeted that, and he had an evil look on his face, and it was just like, Colbert, I really wish his ratings were better so he could stop trying this hard. Mm -hmm. I think his ratings are fine. No, he's like fourth. Really? Yeah. What a bummer. Fourth or third. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no, he deserves more. But he did get to reprise his role as Stephen Colbert from The Colbert Show mm -hmm. last night for the RNC. And people are like, oh, is he finally, like, you know, slipping into the persona that he's going to continue with for the rest of the show? But apparently he said, it would be really good to do this next week. And that made people think that it's not going to happen. Oh, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Stephen Colbert as a character. I like him. Yeah. But, you know, the the thing about playing too much of a character when you are a mouthpiece is, like, you end up with situations where people take that character seriously and they book him for speaking events. And then he does a great job of, uh, of lambasting those speaking events. Yeah. But how much harm is he doing to people who might take him seriously? There is a thing called Poe's Law, which is, like, the more you parody something or, like, yeah, the more you parody something, the, the, the risk you take is that you end up becoming the, you become the thing that you're parodying. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm pretending to be an idiot, and it's, eventually, you end up being an idiot. I mean, I think that's the, uh, would Poe's Law pertain to the fake it till you make it discipline of socializing? And That's like a positive way to see Poe's Law. I, yeah. was, I was definitely going to say it is the, the negative side of fake it till you make it, because yeah. I honestly believe that's true. I've seen people who do comedy, and they adopt certain personality traits as characters because it comes to them somewhat naturally then they kind of become that and it's unfortunate because it's like you're so much more than this one small aspect of yourself mm -hmm. so that it's the same kind of goes for stephen colbert maybe if you could like have like a 20 minute segment on a show which probably is too much like a 10 minute segment on a show where he slips back into that character and does something from the old show mm -hmm. and try to integrate that into like his new show and the new softer persona that he's sort of portraying. I could I could definitely see that because you can't mistake the real Stephen Colbert for the character if you see them together. Yeah. 
Because when uh, the Colbert Report was on, one of the things I liked most of it was when you would see real Stephen Colbert as a person. And it happens so rarely. Like in the last episode of the show's entire run, the last song that played was not his usual outro music. Yeah. It was the song Holland 1944 by Neutral Milk Hotel, which is a song that reminds him of his dead brother. That's sad. It's really sad, but it's a very, it's a very quirky, really heartbreaking choice because the real person Stephen Colbert chose to do that. He's a great, interesting guy. I just wish his show was better. His current one? His current one. Yeah, there there are little bits that I really love, but man, there are some softball interviews that are not worth watching. I mean, even some of the things that I like about him are just kind of like, well, I see what you're trying to do, but I don't know why, but it's just not working. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite things I've seen on his show in the in recent days, it was uh, Ryan Gosling and I believe Russell Crowe. Oh, oh, from the Nice Guys, and they were promoting the Nice Guys. And instead of an interview, it was really just Ryan was throwing, like, a, like a hissy fit because Russell Crowe would always, like, answer the questions. It's like, Ryan's like, you don't even need me here. <laughs> and Russell Crowe's like, yeah, probably. You, oh. you can go. And so Ryan, like, got up and left. Like, he kept leaving, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like, looking back, he's like, this is your chance. This is your chance to get me back. Mm -hmm. And he ended up leaving. And, then like, he re reappears in the audience and he's like... Yeah, and he really, you know, he's so funny, but he just can't admit that he needs me. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> it was like they were having a lot of fun with the, you know, the promoting the material. Mm -hmm. But it's, again, it, you know, you don't get those hard-hitting questions even with, from, like, some of the guests that you probably should get them from. And it's a huge bummer because the Colbert Report was full of some of the most hard-hitting questions. I mean, not daily show level at its peak, but yeah. it was... Uh, it was like backhanded questions with really good, biting connotations to them. However, there was a, an intro to the... Is it the Colbert show? Is that the late show? I don't know. The late show with Stephen Colbert. So there was one where the entire introduction to the episode was he got the cast of Fiddler on the Roof from across the street to come into the studio and perform two songs from Fiddler with him. And it was great. That's awesome. It was really cool. I really love the little opening bits that he does, because it feels like that's that's the most Steven thing kind of about the show. Mm -hmm. Like, they had one where Amelia uh, Clark came on, uh, Daenerys from Game of Thrones. There you go. And he was like, hey, Amelia uh, Clark, what are you doing? And she was surrounded by puppies. And he's like, well, most people think I'm the mother of dragons, but really, I'm the mother of puppies. And like... All of these puppies were everywhere, and she was, like, cuddling them. I'm just like, this is the best thing ever. That's pretty great. Mother of puppies. Mother of puppies. Bark, bark. Bark. Yeah, late night TV's terrible. It really is. Like, uh, my coworkers were talking today. I was like, oh, I like Conan. And, like, Jimmy Fallon's really the my favorite. And, like, listening to them talk, I realized I like no late night television anymore. Yeah, I, I used to really like it. I used to really enjoy it when I was a teenager. And now it's... It just seems kind of vapid and pointless, for the most part. I grew up watching David Letterman. Yeah. Like, that's where I got some of my weird, absurdist humor things. He just, he would drop watermelons off the, off the roof of his building for no reason. What I love about, what I loved about David Letterman was that his approach to late night comedy was basically, people are all, are already watching this. Yeah. I can do anything. He had a segment he called Beat the Clock. 
mm-hmm. where he, they would go to a restaurant and uh, get two people sitting there, and, and they're like, all right, you ready to play Beat the Clock? And they're like, yeah. It's like, and remember, you know, you're playing for $100, and they get them all excited, and it's like, all right. And then they would start the clock, and the people would kind of look around like, what, what do I do? And then just like beat the clock, <laughs> so like they would like start panicking and looking around and like, "What you've given me nothing." And then like they would end and like, "Oh, I'm sorry, you were just that short from beating the clock." You know, it, it was just absurd and random and great. That's and, pretty great. But then in his later years, he just he got to a weird, dumb format where it was monologue, interview, interview, no segments anymore, except for maybe uh, stupid pet tricks or yep. dumb human tricks. You know who was great? Who? Craig Ferguson. Oh, Craig Ferguson. He was the best. He he redefined the genre of the late, late, late night show. He he perverted this format that David Letterman created, where his monologues were these strange, almost cinema verite things where he would, like, grab the camera away from the cameraman, like, look at things. Yeah. His show had no artifice that he would routinely make a point of pointing out how cheap his set was or something was fake. It was so odd. It was really truthful in an enjoyable way he did one of the coolest things i've ever seen a late night show do and uh his his guest that night was stephen fry Mm -hmm. and uh instead of doing a normal show he closed his doors let no one in like it was cameraman him and stephen and they just had a conversation for the entire show that's great yeah that's really great no audience no jokes no bits no monologue just let's have a conversation Mm. It was almost like a podcast. Ooh, we're Craig Ferguson. We're Craig Ferguson. Arg-gurg-gurg-gurg. He does that, right? Yes. That's, that's his thing. He he opens the show and he's like, I'm Craig Ferguson. Arg-gurg-gurg-gurg-gurg-gurg. Um, you ever think, Henry? Do I ever think, Henry? Uh, yes. So, actually, that's that's weirdly appropriate. What? Okay, so we were talking about uh, how Craig Ferguson kind of didn't have artifice. Yeah. And was just kind of himself. Versus how David Letterman became a character with a formula. Stephen yeah. Colbert is a character with a formula. And Stephen Colbert has multiple characters within him. Yeah. And I was thinking about this today. Do you think that life is just a series of characters that we choose to portray? Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a theory in a social whatever bullshit. Social behavior. Sociology. Behavioral. Yeah, social behavioral something. It's called stage theory. Have you, ever, have you ever heard of stage theory? No. There's a front stage, which is what we present to everyone, you know, it, and th- this front stage can change from setting to setting. And then there's a backstage, which is like you by yourself, where you prepare your front stage kind of persona. Mm. And so it's, I, I definitely put on different personas based on where I am. At work, I am not the same person I am. Like an improv, and at improv, I'm not the same as I am by myself. Mm-hmm. And when you're eating dinner with friends, you're a different person. Like there, there are hundreds of characters we have. Yeah, I was thinking about that at work because my work person, my work persona, is so different from how I am. And I feel like, do you think that's a good thing necessarily, or is it just something that society forces us to do because we feel like we need to fit into certain roles? It- I think it's kind of a byproduct of just the fact that there are different environments and we don't always know how to act in those environments. Mm. And uh, sometimes, like, if you have a very sort of formal job, like, I guess at a bank, you're not going to act like you would when you're with your friends because mm. you might be, you, you might be like, you might have a cruder vocabulary with your friends, but you're not going to tell Mrs. Jenkins is, 
you know, depositing her paycheck that, you know, that, hey, you know, don't blow your fucking paycheck all in the same goddamn place, bitch. I'm oh, yeah. not going to say that. No, of course not. And, I don't know, it's so much of it has to do with language and how we carry ourselves, because most of the time, if I see someone I know, and I'm alone, I'm walking to work or just doing something alone that's a part of my day, and they see me, they talk to me, and they're like, oh, you look miserable. It's like, no, this is just how I look when I don't feel like I have to impress anybody. Exactly. Because in my head, it's just everything that I need to do for the day stewing around, and I'm not putting anything out there because I don't need to. One of the worst experiences I had was working at Books A Million in this, this town where I'm relatively smally, not even... I have an iota of fame mm -hmm. because we do improv, but people would come in and they would recognize me and like, hey, you're that guy from that improv group. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, yeah, this is my day job. And they'd be like, you're so funny. And I'm like, do you need to buy a book? Mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to like really have a conversation with you. I'm just, I'm behind a counter and a cat, you know, a cash register. And they're like, I've got a bunny. I'm like, why do you have a bunny in a bookstore? This actually happened. Oh, was it a real bunny? Girl walked in with a real live rabbit. I'm just oh. like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. I'm not cleaning that up. Like, I'm not cleaning after a live animal that shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. And they just wanted to talk to me about, you're so funny. What do you, wh wh where do you hang out? I'm just like, I'm on the clock. Yep. And I don't want to talk to you. I, I experienced that at my previous job at the gym. Oh, yeah. And it, it wasn't necessarily unpleasant, but I mean, people would recognize me. And talk to me for a while about this thing, and I'd be like, I have to wash these towels. Yeah. I'm sorry you have to see this part of my life that's not funny or interesting or the person I pretend to be. It, it, these weird off-guard moments, like, if I run into somebody I know and I'm not prepared to talk to them, it's just, I kind of just shut down and be like, I'm just like, okay, uh, when can I, what, what is the earliest possible second I can walk away from this conversation? Because it makes you really uncomfortable. I'm just not that kind of person who can just walk up to people and talk to them. Mm -hmm. I need that backstage moment to prepare for the front stage. Absolutely. And I, uh, I've had conversations with people in our mutual friend group who seem to think that I find it really easy to, like, be around people and talk to people and be loud. And it's like, no, I don't. That's really hard. And when people come up to me and I'm myself or I'm my work self and they expect that from me, it's like, I feel like a charlatan. Yeah. Because you are expecting a thing that I don't necessarily like being but I just adopt as a matter of course, and I don't know how to stop that or make it bleed into other parts of my life, because, God, it would be nice to find it easier to talk to people on a regular basis. Well, see, like, I've kind of done the opposite, where I will just shut down sometimes and just, like, become a person I don't want to necessarily be, but I'm just, like, I'm out of social energy, mm -hmm. so I might be a bit of a jerk. I might be more blunt than I mean to be, but it's just, like, I, I'm out of the the amount of, like, allotted space I had to be that person, and now it's just kind of like, I want to shut down and recharge. And so, you know, I, you know, it's, it becomes difficult to, like, hang out with people when they're like, let's do this, 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 all in a row. It's kind of like, I'm okay with, like, the first one, but then I, I want to, like, backpack it out of there. Yeah, like, we can do the first one, like, half of the second one, but then I'm gone. Yeah. My problem is that I tend to... I, I like the idea of stage theory, but I feel like in my mind I don't accept that it's a thing, because if I'm spending time with people and they want to do a lot of things, I, like, I drive my car at 80. Yeah. It doesn't matter how low I am on fuel. I'm just like, let's go. It's never gonna run out. And I, like, I see the fuel light come on, I'm like, let's keep going. That doesn't mean anything. And then, like, when I run out, 
I just become an asshole. Yeah. Like, I run out and my eyes go dead and I'm just not happy and nothing's funny and I don't talk and I don't want to do anything and it sucks. Yeah, I mean, we're not like cars. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have those indicators, so it's not as though we can feel it coming, but that switch is definitely something I've experienced where I've gone to, like, I'm having a great time to, okay, when, when is this over? I feel like I can see it coming at this point in my life. But oh, yeah. like Someone will suggest a thing, and my mind like, don't do that. If if you do that, you're going to shut down. I'm like, let's do it! And then I do it, and I'm just the worst. Like, I went to Old Navy, of all places. Why'd you go to Old Navy? Got these pants there. I needed some chinos. Chinos. Chinos? Chinos. There we go. Chinos. What's the difference between a chino and a khaki? Let's talk about that later. But uh, I went to Old Navy with my girlfriend... And we got there, and I was just feeling, like, weird socially, like I didn't have any, any energy. And then she's like, let's go to Old Navy. You've been saying you want to go to Old Navy to go clothes shopping because you need pants. I was like, yes! And I went there, and we, like, went our separate ways, and she did some shopping. I just kind of stood in a couple of places, and she came up, and she's like, what's up? And I'm like, I don't want to be here. Oh, it's no. like, that's, that's not good. That's not healthy. That doesn't yeah. seem good when your significant other walks up to you and you're like, I just don't want to be here. I just don't want to be here. Well, one, you were in Old Navy. True. Old Navy's never a fun place to be. Mm-hmm. As bright and colorful as the clothes are, the walls are the most clinical white I have ever seen. And it's not a good smell. Nothing is good about Old Navy. Also, the clothes are falling apart on my body. Yeah. I'm wearing Old Navy on Old Navy right now. Man, you're like doubly enlisted. I am. I'm I'm gonna go back for that second tour. <laughs> so I, I I've got no advice. Like I don't know what to do in these situations because I too suffer from it. So I guess the only thing I can say is like just be aware of of you know this thing that we live with and I mean us us be aware mm -hmm. and try to not take it out on the people around us who are arguably just living their lives. Yeah, and. It's easy to feel like some people don't have this switch, like they don't have this thing where they stop being social, but they do. It's just, you never have it at the same time. Yeah. So you can never commiserate. So it sucks. But, I mean, if you experience that, sorry. Yeah. Everybody does, probably. I, I think there's a lot of people who are just better at sort of faking it, and they're just like, you know, with a smile, they're saying, I'm not having fun either, but, you know, for the sake of everyone's feelings, I'm going to pretend I'm having fun until we're backstage again, and then I can be like, why did we go bowling? Wish I could do that. Well, it could be a fake it till you make it thing, you know? Yeah. Smile until it's real, John. Yay, smile until the tears stop. There you go. And I think on that little nugget of wisdom, I'll ask, what are we doing? Taking a break. Yep. Potatoes. I need someone to come to my house and fix my pants. Potatoes. Wait, fuck. What's the Bump. Game of Thrones theme? Ba da da Bum. Ba da da dum. Bum bum ba. Um. Ba da 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 Pidgeot Firo. Nope. <laughs> Pidgeot Firo. No, uh, no poker rap. Gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all. Pidgeot Firo. Firo. Pidgeot Squirtle. Your mother. That's all, folks. <laughs> That's all of them. <laughs> muck. 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 Ekins. And then it's it. That's it. Potatoes. 
Henry. Hi, John. Did you know that in the Bible it says that David struck Goliath with a stone in the forehead? Yes, I actually did know that. Did you know that the word in the Bible used to denote forehead can also mean shin or shin guard? Yeah, I think I knew that too. So, David's a dirty fighter who hit a man in the shin. Alright, what's your point? Buy shin guards. Is this a soccer commercial? No, just... Here's the thing. For too long, soccer has had a death grip on the shin guards industry. They're the only sport that uses shin guards. What if I told you you could use shin guards every day in your everyday life? But I'm not often hitting the shin. You will be. Why? (laughs) Ah, my shin. See, a shin guard would have helped. John, why did you do that? (laughs) Ah, my shin again. It's the most sensitive part of the human body. It really isn't, but it still hurts a bundle. You should buy a guard for it. John, please stop hitting my shin. Think about if you deadlifted. You need a shin guard so you don't scrape your shins up. But, but... I don't work out anymore because I can't afford it. You should buy shin guards. Then you can afford to work out. All right. <laughs> oh, my shit. Well, I said, okay, I'm going to buy it. Stop hitting me. I, I have to do it three times. That's the only way it sinks in. Oh, it hurts. So why'd you eat the same one in the same spot? If you had one shin guard, half the price, and you'd have none of that agony. But then you just hit me in the other leg. Also buy cups. <laughs> Actually, yeah, cups would be, like, way more useful, right? Probably more peaceful than a shin guard. Bye, foreheads. Bye-da-ba-ba-bye. Shin gardens. Cups. Shin garden cup. Shin garden cup? Shin garden cup. Potatoes. Welcome back to Zero Credits. Ba-dum-bum. What an ad. What an ad. Man. Our sponsors this week really did it. They really decided to give us an ad. Man. Man. So good of advertising to do that. It's really nice when people give us ads to read. That's something that people could do. (laughs) They could. They could give us ads to read. (laughs) They haven't yet. They should. Yeah, they should. I mean, listen to these dulcet tones. Is there anything but a tone that's dulcet? Doors. Dulcet doors. What's a dulcet door? I don't know, you know it. You're right, it's a door that opens softly. Is a... wait, okay, so the three wise men. There's a lot of Bible talk in this episode, so... There hasn't been so far. Myrrh. Frankenson, yeah. And myrrh. Old Frankenson. So if myrrh myrrh was... could you have dulcet myrrh? Isn't myrrh like perfume? Like a dulcimer? Oh god, alright. No, sorry. Yeah. What? What? John? What's up? Isn't it time for one of our time-honored second-half segments? When you mash two books together, is it a portmanteau? Time for our time-honored segment. Which one? The one that starts like this. What did you watch? What did you watch? What did you watch? What did you watch? What'd you watch, Henry? I've been watching Veep. Veep! On HBO. Veep! Veep. Tina Fey? No. Veep! Julia Louise Dreyfus. Ah. Elaine from Seinfeld. Oh, the lady from The Nanny. Nope. No. That's a, that's Fran Drescher. Not fr- no. No, Veep isn't Fran Drescher, but The Nanny is Fran Drescher. Yes, I'm talking about Veep, Julia Louise Dreyfus. Okay. That's not her name, is it? Julia Louise Dreyfus, yeah. Alright. That's right. Yeah. She plays the vice president. Oh, is she good? 
She is ambitious, shall we say. How can a vice president be ambitious? Here's the thing. This is one of the best sort of like opening, what do you call those? Like an opening? A show opening? Okay. The theme song? Yeah. It's one of the best one of those I've seen because it contains all the information you need to understand her character. Mm -hmm. It starts off with headlines about her campaign and then how... Like, she was on an upswing, and then apparently something happened, and people started not liking her, she started losing the election, and then it says, like, uh, her character proud to be vice president candidate, so you get the full story, she was running for president, she ended up losing her campaign, losing to the other person, mm -hmm. and became his vice president. Okay. And, uh, so, but within that, in her, pa her, her office, she's trying to do enough things, you know... To get to, like, kind of nail down her legacy to petition for, after the eight years is over, for her, her to become the new president. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a, it's like a lower stakes House of Cards. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's House of Cards meets Parks and Rec. That sounds pretty good. And what I mean by that is it's Parks and Rec with horrible people. Which seasons of Parks and Rec? I'm just talking about the general idea of a bunch of dysfunctional people working in the government. All right. Um, because, but, but it's that, but they're literally, like, pretty much every character is a terrible person. That sounds great. Is this an HBO show? This is HBO. Makes sense. I said that at the top of the, the whole spiel. I wasn't paying attention. Oh, man. I was too busy writing things down. You do write things down now. Anyway. But, you know, it's really good. Uh, it's got that guy from Mad TV. Oh. You know, the one who played... Phil Lamar? I don't know. I, I say he's from Mad TV. I really don't know what else he's been in. He's kind of bald, but with red hair. He's kind of bald, but with red hair. Yeah. All right. He's a comedian-ish type. Norm MacDonald. Yeah, it's Norm MacDonald. That's okay, what I'm thinking sweet. of. Yeah. The guy who was on Saturday Night Live and not Mad T... Yeah. No, but uh, I forget this guy's name, but he's he's in it. Okay. And, uh, oh, oh, Lumberg from, uh, uh, Office Space. Oh, really? Bill Lumberg. I love that the guy. The guy who plays him, he's in it as kind of the same character, which is kind of funny. Oh, weird. Yeah, he's all obsessed with numbers and stuff. It's great. Mm -hmm. But no, it's got, like, a weirdly corrupt, lovable cast. Mm hmm And it's kind of like, uh, Silicon Valley, where it's sort of a comedy, but it's more like a short 30-minute drama, where the drama is more lighthearted than uh than serious uh that sounds pretty refreshing considering the reason i gave up on house of cards was because its melodrama was through the fucking roof yeah this is more of like a light-hearted take quest for power but like funny things happen it's just not laugh out loud sitcom funny okay well i mean sitcoms are television cancer so yeah and so this is, much like Silicon Valley, it seems like HBO is cultivating these kind of shorter length episode comedy dramas that are, like, there's a story pertaining throughout all of the seasons and all the episodes, but each episode is kind of focused on one moment out of that story, you know? Mm-hmm. I, um, I definitely am appreciating the increased openness that television is having towards shows not necessarily being 45 minutes to an hour long it's just I, I keep finding that whenever i sit down to watch one of those 40 minute to an hour long episode show things mm -hmm. i get bored it's they always feel over long yeah always i mean i was watching a two hour and 10 minute movie last night oh gosh. didn't finish it because i had to wake up to go to work yeah 
And it just felt... I feel like I used to have so much more of an appetite for movies because this one felt so long. I think maybe as we grow older, our willingness to sort of sit through something that's long kind of gets shorter. I And maybe just because there are other faster ways we can like make ourselves happy, like let's read a bit of a book. Yeah. Or let's just go hang out with people. And two hours is a lot of commitment to something that's not... If it isn't, like, massively captivating, I can't sit there for two hours unless I'm in a movie theater. Movie theaters kind of dictate you pay attention. And, I mean, it's a whole experience. You're usually there with people. There's an atmosphere. Yeah. You know, you're a part of something in a movie theater. But if you're on your couch and you could just read a book or get on the computer, you're not really going to want to experience that two-hour thing if it's not as captivating as those other things. I I think that places an impetus on creators to make sure whatever they're creating is, you know, fresh, is refreshing in some aspect. Mm -hmm. Because if we're just going to see another movie where, I don't know, the world's in danger and the president saves the world, yada, 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 I I need something new there if I'm going to sit through the same movie that I've seen. Mm. I'm referencing sort of Independence Day and then the sequel that I don't know if anyone actually saw. I know a few friends who saw it. Yeah? I uh, I enjoyed that as a movie it had a trailer that made its entire mission statement clear when Jeff Goldblum's character in the trailer says, well, it's certainly bigger than the last one. So it's, you know, the first movie, but bigger. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It seems like Hollywood is really stuck right now. I mean, we talked a little bit about intertextuality and how, you know, you're not making anything new necessarily if you're just recycling the same old images but making them bigger. Yeah. Well, Veep does sort of that in reverse, you know. It's House of Cardish, but less serious, shorter episodes, more comedic, but still, you know, a a sort of kind of ruthless, power-hungry person. I've heard a few things about a few plot details from Veep, and it sounds like it has some legitimately interesting political intrigue that happens. Yeah, I think I think what I, I don't know this for sure because I've never sort of experienced the life, but I think this is a more realistic sort of view of uh, this type of politics, you know, because C- it, it, the main characters are the vice president and her staff, and like so scandals will pop out, and like. The staff has to sort of scramble to sort of get in front of the story and fix it. But a lot of the times they're cut off guard just because they're, while they're not doing that, they're trying to do important work and it's the media pointing out some really trivial detail that might derail the entire thing. And I'm sure that's something politicians, you know, legitimately have to deal with. Yeah. It it feels very realistic. There's, There's a level of verisimilitude that this, you know, I can very much appreciate. Plus, Pat Oswalt just got introduced to the season that nice, I'm watching. Nice, nice. Also, Julia Louis-Dreyfus really needs more work because she's great. She's awesome. She's enchanting and hilarious. And this is a female-led comedy, so it's just like, this is proving that the there, there is no barrier there. It hey, works. Hey, just as that trailer from Ghostbusters says, girls are funny, get over it. I, is that... I never. I don't it watch is, trailers, so I don't know what you're referring to. It, it's a it's a trailer that's propagated all over Facebook and YouTube, where it has the uh, some kind of sizzle text from a review. Oh, really? And the review includes the words "It's over, girls are funny, get over it," or it's whatever. Over? It's, I don't think I don't think it's a, it's over, but it's it's pack it up. It's over. But it, it does say girls are funny, get over it. It's like, yeah. that seems like a pointless statement to make. That seems very, uh, what, what, aggro. Yeah, it, it's, it's very aggressive. I think it's unnecessarily aggressive. 
Because, like, if you have a super good female-led comedy, maybe it's not necessary for you to aggressively defend it. I can see, like, no fault on the critic or whoever said that, but that's not what the marketing people should package in the trailer. Yeah, absolutely not. I don't think you need to, because it's just a, it's a cloying aggressive thing to put in my face where I'm like, I want to see your movie. I want to see it less now. I don't want to be antagonized into seeing it. I, I don't want to have to see it out of some weird social pressure where it's like, I'm proving a point by seeing this movie mm -hmm. because then I won't enjoy it. Especially when a movie uh, has sizzle text in its trailer that's seemingly defending itself and not selling itself. I liked it when, like, the text or the work of art, I like when they speak for themselves. So if it's gonna, if it's a good movie, let it be a good movie, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's true of everything. If it's good, let it be good. If it's bad, let it be bad. And, and I honestly, like, I didn't want to bring up Ghostbusters just because I don't want to participate in that conversation. Like, I don't want our podcast to participate in that conversation. Mm -hmm. But now that we're here, yeah, $46 million is not good opening numbers. I'm sorry. I mean, it's not. Also, everyone I've known who's seen it, regardless of their feelings on any subject regarding, uh... Gender and comedy? Yeah, gender equality. They're like, yeah, every woman who's in it is really funny and has done a lot for women in comedy, and the writing's just really bad. That's a shame. Because the thing is, you can have four or five really hilarious, amazing women, and they are that... But if you put them in a movie with bad writing, it's not going to be great. Yeah. But maybe it's great. I haven't seen it yet. Can't say. This so, is just what people say. So here, here's the bottom line. Veep is well-written. It's got good female comedian talent. I mean, Julia Louis-Dreyfus has been funny since Seinfeld. She's got a proven track record. I don't think she's ever done any, something that I, like, I haven't liked. Mm-hmm. And, uh, except for maybe the new Christine. Haven't seen it. It was weird. Let's not talk about that. It was a sitcom, for one. Oh. But, uh, you know, this is really, like, if anything, this should be what people are pointing to and saying, hey, look, women can be funny. Mm -hmm. Not that that's, like, a, that should not be a surprise to people. It shouldn't be a thing that people have to say, and I feel like, to a degree, it's not worth... Whatever. We'll talk about other things. 30 Rock. Parks and Rec. Like, yeah. these things have happened. Hey, Henry. What? It's over. It's women over. Women are funny. It's over. Get over it. You know what women are also? What? Strong. Yeah. And deaf. <laughs> oh, are you're gonna... You're, John, John, what did you watch? I watched a movie called Hush. I've seen this movie. It's good. That means we can talk about it more, because the other movie I saw you probably hadn't seen. Yeah, so Hush. And we might even talk about that other movie, depending on how quickly we talk about Hush. So walk, walk us through Hush. So Hush is a movie about a woman who is an author. Yes. And is deaf. Yes. And has suffered vocal paralysis due to uh, some kind of meningitis. Yeah. Uh, so she is deaf and mute, uh, which is an interesting choice because muteness is something that happens very, very, very rarely yeah. in the real world. Her level of muteness is really unbelievable. Not to get off track, but I've read a little bit about, uh, well, deaf, 
death culture, mm-hmm. as in, uh, and this was, this actually comes from someone's dissertation. A lot of the times when when people lose their hearing completely, mm-hmm. especially like at an early age, I, I don't remember how early of an age she the character in the movie lost her. I think it was thirteen. Okay, well that's then that's this would be weird. Uh, but a lot of times if you're deaf, people uh, deaf people do not try to learn how to make mm-hmm. you know how to speak because they feel it's a waste of time or that. It's just so hard for someone who can't hear to learn to speak mm-hmm. that it's it's that it's not fair to try to do that. But if she lost her hearing at thirteen, then never mind. She sh- so it is a really weird. Well, her her muteness is explained in the movie yeah. when it when it shows the blurb on the back of her book and it explains that she had partial vocal paralysis. Was I supposed to read that? Yes, because and it was way too fast. It was very fast. And then it was uh, full vocal paralysis yeah. after surgery. Oh, yeah. But it's it's just very rare for someone to be so mute that they can't make involuntary sounds like screaming or gasping. That's thought, just really rare. I while I was watching that, I was like, "But wait, that that's that's she should be screaming." Mm-hmm. Okay, but or anyway. making sounds of surprise, yeah, or gasping or something. Anyway, that's her character, and the movie is about her in this very nice, very secluded house. Oh, it's such a nice house. Oh, it's so nice. Yeah. And uh, she is menaced by a psycho killer with a neck tattoo. With a neck tattoo, he's not a great guy. Also, that's Emmett from Ten Cloverfield Lane. Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, you should. You'd like it. All right. But anyway, <laughs> this movie—it's a horror movie featuring a deaf mute protagonist. Yes, that's the movie. I mean, that. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like we were talking about how uh, television can sometimes feel overlong. Yeah. And Hush is an hour and twenty minutes long. Felt about twenty minutes too long. Yeah. Not saying I hated it, but it just kind of kept doing the same things over and over again. It really did. And to be totally fair, I quite liked the movie. I thought it's a Mike Flanagan movie, Absentia, Oculus, a lot of these Okay. A lot of these really interesting contemporary horror movies that exist within a form. Yeah. But I really I don't know. I did I didn't get the, the huge bursts of interest that I get from Mike Flanagan movies where you know, the thing with Oculus is, like, it plays with what reality is and what representative reality is and what perception is. And Oculus is really cool in that sense. But this one, the thing is that she's deaf, which yeah. presents struggles, and the struggles are realistic. There's there's so many things in her home that are specifically engineered for the deaf. They did their research. Yeah. But it uh, falls short somewhere. It falls short somewhere, and I don't really know where, because... Okay, so the the psycho killer, don't think he has a name. I don't think he ever... Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, in addition to not having a motivation, he also doesn't have a name. He's literally just a random killer. Really good random killer. Yeah. I thought he was oddly charismatic, really, really interesting guy, super good acting. I loved his very limited uh, interactions and conversations with people. Yeah. He, he clearly had something to prove... He was just enjoyable to watch because, you know, he existed to be menacing. Pretty much. But he, he has enough details that are that sort of form together to make his character, like the notches on the crossbow. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the, the things he says about, like, people's stature and how he views the world, he clearly has 
very specific views that led him to be this really troubled individual. But I wish we knew if he was like an accountant during the day. Mm. You know, give me a little glimpse into... He can't be a psycho killer full time, right? Probably not. So he's got to do something else. I don't know. A little more to flesh out his side of the thing. Yeah. And I also find hard to believe that he's killed like 14 people without being caught. Unless yeah. every person he finds is a deaf mute woman in a beautiful secluded house. I mean, the the only real way he could do that, like he was targeted... The reason, they're in that weird secluded area, and so he would have to bounce from kind of like state to state in mm-hmm. weird secluded areas doing that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's essentially a, he's essentially a horror movie monster. Yeah, he's a monster. Because he appears, he doesn't have real motivations for doing it. They do a good job of making him human and making him really enjoyable to watch. Yeah. But the, the struggle back and forth between them gets kind of old. However, to be fair, the reason I like this movie so much is because... When the killer first appears, he's wearing this very contemporary horror, like, bespoke white mask with this weird, quizzical grimace and droopy eyelids. I'm like, man, this sucks because you're going to be a silent contemporary horror mask killer for no reason. It's going to be The Purge or The Strangers or anything like that. And was, then, Yeah, I gotta reel The Strangers vibe. And then with the first, I don't know, 15 minutes, he takes the mask off talks to the protagonist, becomes this thing. They clearly have a relationship that's more enigmatic and stressed and desperate than you usually see in horror movies, and I really like that. It's an inverse. Also, Kate Siegel, who plays the the deaf woman, the protagonist, really good. Oh yeah, she's a great actress. She's a fantastic actress who has been in basically nothing. But uh, but it's an inverse of the normal trope. Instead of the silent monster and, like, the, the the victim who wonders what's going on and, like, speaks, the, our victim literally can't speak. Mm-hmm. And so the monster fills in sort of that, that role of having this, you know, a, a speaking sort of person in a horror movie. And he talks a lot. He talks so much. I wanted him to shut up. To, I mean, at some points it's enjoyable, but, you know, you, you don't understand why he makes ultimatums like I'm not going to come inside the house other than to make the movie longer than him just slaughtering her. There's that scene that we're introduced to him where he's doing an action. I don't want to spoil anything. He's doing something, mm-hmm. and he's focused solely on the deaf woman mm-hmm. the entire time. I think he really becomes so obsessed or, like, so curious about this woman that he kind of throws everything he normally would do out of the window. Because hmm. we see him kill once, and it's there's nothing clever or tortured about it. He's just straight up murdering someone. It's completely unceremonious. Yeah. But then, to, when he's, because he finds this deaf woman, like, everything about his normal M.O. changes... To, you know, ha- I can't I can't just kill this person normally, you know. I, I have to really string this out and make her want to die for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like, he gets weirdly obsessed with her. And uh, another thing that I liked about this movie, and Mike Flanagan movies are okay about this in general, but uh, the things that people go through, pretty realistic and horrifying. Yeah. Like, if, if you end up seriously injured in one of these circumstances, you don't just get over it. It doesn't matter if you're the monster killer or the person being hunted. Bodily harm is pretty debilitating to people. Yeah, people get hurt, they stay hurt. They don't suddenly get better two scenes later. Mm-hmm. Like, you see uh, the, the killer 
his his right arm gets injured in a way that he tries to do things with his right hand and he like fumbles with objects and yeah. keeps clutching it. People stay hurt, which is enjoyable to watch. It's it's a very well done movie for the most part. There are a lot of a lot of things in the beginning that are I guess they're like seeming MacGuffins that just don't turn out to be anything. Mm. That I really think are missed opportunities, but uh, for the most part, the movie's really good. It stands up, but at the end, it's kind of like, what the? How the hell does a deaf mute woman explain to anyone what happened here? What happens when a deaf mute woman dials nine one one? And I, I I know this for a fact. The police cannot trace cell phones, so mm-hmm. it's not as though you call nine one one and they know where to go. Mm-hmm. If it was a landline, they can do that. Mm-hmm. But cell phones, they don't have access to that data. Yep. A police car shows up at the end, and I'm just like, how did he get there? How did you know? How? Uh, okay. Not spoiling anything. Yeah. Really. But there's a moment in the movie right near the end when the narrative changes and the perspective changes based on the idea that she is a writer so she can see a lot of different endings to scenarios. Yes. And near the end, there is a moment where she starts imagining different endings that superimpose themselves on things. And her character appears speaking with what we assume to be her mother's voice because she says the voice in her head is her mother's. Yeah. So, you see all these things happening with, like, voiceover narration, and it's so against the, the, every thematic element up until that point, like, the really great, uh, breath-heavy soundtrack drops away, it becomes this yeah. really typical, like, thriller, piano-heavy soundtrack over this voice narration of multiple things happening, and everything that that voice says... We could, we already inferred that she was thinking. Exactly. Because she's a great actress. Here's the thing. I really and honestly truly think that that was what was pitched. Mm. You know, it's like as a deaf mute woman who's a writer so she can can see all the different like scenarios playing out and so she'll think her way through it. And then I think when they got down to actually writing the script they realized... We can't have a character think that much mm-hmm. because it's it's a lot of nothing. It's a lot of like doing stuff and like oh what well, that didn't actually happen. You mm-hmm. can't do that to your audience yeah. too much. But then the writer liked the idea so much that he's like okay, well one time before the end, can we at least do this scene? Mm-hmm. And it's just so bad. It robs so much tension. It it robbed my attention. I, I didn't care anymore because mm-hmm. it's just like. No, you. we know you can't do this because you've tried to do all this already. You, you've tried to do all of it before, and you're such a great actress that through facial acting and your actual actions, we understand that you've come to this conclusion already. It's like when she's talking to herself, she's having everything we've learned up until that point in the movie just restated to her. It's like, I we get it. We already got it, and yeah. nothing happens for, like, four minutes while this goes on. It's just, uh, and, like, all the while, there's something else going on. I was like, well, if you had just gone outside while this was happening and finished it, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have 20 more minutes of this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's the classic sort of cliche of, of horror movie characters making bad decisions. Although, isn't that kind of realistic? Yeah. Because no one acts perfectly in these scenarios. I mean, one of the things I liked about the movie was she kept... When people when people pushed this movie to me, they made it sound like the protagonist was some hyper-competent ass-kicker. Mm. And she absolutely isn't. No. She's just as competent as most people would be. 
which is, it's really hard to kill people because people are really attached to being alive. Yeah. And, and will pull out all the stops that they can think of. Exactly. She, she did a great job of not making rational choices all the time, not being this, like, so. roundhouse kicking, <laughs> don't mess with me person, but she was really competent in a totally believable way. Yeah. She made believable dumb choices, and she made believable great choices. And I, I think it's a decent movie. I, I would suggest it if you can tolerate some horror. Mm -hmm. um, because it's not super... I always reason if it's not supernatural horror, then it's it's okay to watch. I'd almost say it pretends to be a horror movie for about 20 minutes, and that's just a really gripping, like themed thriller yeah and maybe if it was shorter though whatever if it's shorter th if it's much shorter than what it was it's not a feature film anymore really yeah it's more like a made for tv sort of thing but i really liked it i, I wouldn't say it's great yeah I'd, I'd say it's thoroughly in the middle of good it's it's on netflix i mean it's it's up there with the rest of mike flanagan stuff which i thoroughly enjoyed and it also had problems i've never heard of mike flanagan but it was a decent watch Watch that man. He makes good stuff. I don't want to see Oculus. It's about mares. Oh. Ha have you not seen Oculus? No. Oculus is really good. Is it about mares? Yes. No. It's Well, it's less about mirrors and more about perception. No. Okay, that's fair. No mares. Uh, the other movie I watched was called The Boy. Uh, well? It's another hour and 30 minute long horror movie. Oh, it's a horror movie? It is. What's with you in horror? It's, it's July. About, it's about a doll that moves around. I and, hate it! And, uh, I will spoil nothing about it, and I will give you a really quick review. A really quick? Like, yeah. really, really quick? Really quick. Like, really quick? It's a movie that has one thing going for it, and it doesn't happen until the end. Alright. The thing's cool, but man... <laughs> It's a kind of a slog until that moment. It's just a super typical, like, oh, what's happening? But then when that thing happens and you look back on the previous things, like, oh, all that made sense. Okay. All of that would have seemed less random and more captivating if I kind of knew this was happening the whole time, but whatever. Is it a twist? Ah, kinda. Oh. I, I feel... It's hard to call things a twist. It's not a twisty twist. It's not a twisty twist. But it's, it's just a thing. That makes you rethink everything that happened before. Yeah, in a really cool way. Alright. It's okay. Uh, should we say goodbye? We should start to wrap things up. It takes us usually ten minutes, so... Well, let's start to wrap things up. Uh, uh, do we have reader mail? Uh, not that I know of. Nice. So that's a no. Okay, you know how we can get reader mail, though? How? You can email us at zerocreditsisapodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, do that. And you know what else they can do? They can write us a tweet at zcpcwhj. On twitter.com, send us a DM, a PM, or a BM. <laughs> Funny. Also, the website's been redesigned, so if you can find it, it looks sharper. The website looks a lot sharper. It has our Twitter feed, which is full of capital G, capital C, good content. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a blogger, so I guess you can search Zero Credits Podcast on Blogger and you'll find it. Or just search Zero Credits Podcast and just keep looking. Yeah, it works somewhere. Click it more so it shows up in Google faster. Is that how it works? I have no idea. Search engine optimization. And John made an Instagram. Did I? 
I told I told him you were gonna last episode. I got a job. John, get a job so there's no Instagram. Sorry. Soon, soon though, there will be an Instagram. What? What? what you can the, like our filters. What does a podcast have to Instagram? What the fuck? What the fuck? What, what are we supposed to do with an Instagram? Are we... John's making a Facebook page. Let's make a Facebook. Bye for now. Goodbye. I've been John. And I've been Henry. And together oh, we lied. We lied to you. <laughs> I really didn't realize I was saying I was Henry for a second. It was really scary. I got oculus That's not how Oculus works. Wait, no! What? The movie Hush reminds me a lot about the movie Wait Until Dark. It's about a blind woman. Cool. That's the final point I wanted to make. I'm gonna put that in after the credits. Alright, bye! Wait, is the other Christine the sequel to Stephen King's Christine? The new Christine? The new Christine? No, that's nothing to do with Is she that. not a murderous car? <laughs> She's fine! I had a lot of thoughts right here at the very end. John! Make a Facebook. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. I get the last word. I get the last word. Okay. No. Okay, just get the last... Bye. Okay, so what's the... (laughs) The last word is bye! What's the last... Okay. All right, bye. What?